Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, lovely listeners. It's Dr. Lucy here today. And I am again without Dr. Mary because I am interviewing a woman who is the most fabulous weight loss coach from Canada. So as you know, we are really interested in getting the message out overseas and also having people from overseas bringing the message to us. We cannot stress how important it is to hear the messages in various forms. So I would love to introduce to you Tanya Shaw. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh, you are welcome. You are welcome. So Tanya, you're from Canada. Yes. Excellent. So one of the things I was interested in is we often equate Canada and Australia, similar populations. What are the issues that Canadians face with their health and you know, weight loss at the moment? So a really good question. And honestly, because I work, I mean, I work with most of my clients are from Canada and the US and just starting to hit Europe as well, which is really exciting. But I think that it's global. Like, I don't think there's that much difference. I think a lot of the things that we are going to struggle with are going to be across the continents, across our provinces, across different countries and different continents of the world. And, you know, right now, too, when it comes to we talked to center as we got to know each other a little bit more about the processing of foods. I mean, that is global. That's everywhere. And then the diet culture and diet mindsets and this obsession with weight and calories and getting to a certain size and failing and going on and off again, that is everywhere. It's really everywhere. So while sometimes some of the health statistics might be a little bit different or rates might be slightly different, I think from a big picture view, I think a lot of our issues are exactly the same, honestly. You know what? I totally agree. And I think, um, you know, it's funny, you hit the nail on the head with the diet culture mentality and the idea that we've always been giving, you know, meal plans or meal delivery services, and somehow that will, will solve our problems. So you work as a, as a coach. In Australia, we don't have a lot on coaching. It's sort of a new concept to us we tend to have sort of you know there's doctors and then there's psychologists and coaching is emerging as a new I guess uh, a new field yep field that's the word I'm looking for thank you and so from your point of view what does a health coach offer to people well I think just like a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or a physician it's the spectrum and the scope can be very very huge And you can find coaches who are amazing and you can find coaches who are not amazing, just like you can find your any health practitioner who is like a rock star and is the person for you. And some are are really not. From my perspective, I really help women specifically over the age of 50 to really uncover the root issues with their eating challenges which is not lack of knowledge. Most women know that when they're downing the nachos and the wine, it's not the healthiest option. Or, you know, when you eat the donut, then you go have the cold pizza afterwards. That's not really in line with the goals, but it's really about uncovering what's actually underneath all that and to create those behavior changes. And 
A coach isn't just about, for, in my perspective, isn't just about accountability. I mean, that you can do that with your friend and, and sometimes it's helpful to pay someone sure for that. But it's that person that can really ask you the right questions to start to uncover things that you might not even be aware of that is happening underneath. And at the same time, I think also there's a need for sometimes just for some information because there's so much overwhelm out there that I've had coaches in the past who just ask, all they do is ask me questions. And I'm like, no, like, just tell me what I need to do right now. And let's work that through that way. So I think there's a little bit of a balance that can be really helpful. That knowledge is still important. Um, Simple, actionable steps are really important. But then just having someone also to ask those questions to really figure out what's going on. Because most of the work I do is not about food. It's not about exercise. About 5% of the coaching I do, we talk about food and exercise at all. It's really about the way that we think. And the issue with that is that because our thoughts and our operating systems are so ingrained, we don't even realize that we're operating on these limiting beliefs or these faulty thoughts And it can be really hard to identify them, which is why the coaching component can be so important because you have that person to reflect some things (laughs) when you you say things and to pick some things apart and to just to have that sounding board and to offer some other suggestions and other ways to look at things. I totally love that. I totally love that. Do you know, it's funny, people are often given these ratios, you know, weight loss is all 80% diet, 20% exercise. And I used to think that too, and then I sort of changed it. And then I went, you know, no, it's 90% what you eat. And then eventually now I've just gone, actually, it's about 5% of what you eat and 95% of what you think. Totally, because your thoughts are going to influence, are going to direct are going to create your actions. And when you think differently, you're going to make those different choices. And yes, at the same time, knowledge is also important. I know you talk a lot about insulin and blood sugar regulation, and that's also really important because if you think right, but then you actually think that having a bowl of Cheerios and a banana and skim milk and orange juice for breakfast is like an awesome thing to do, then you're still going to be <laughs> struggling with some, you know, some blood sugar crashes by 10 o'clock. So the knowledge is also really important, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's how we think. And it's not as sexy as saying, hey, like follow this plan. And in 21 days, you're going to lose 10 pounds and we're going to take some before and after photos. It's really about playing the long game. But once you change the way that you think, and it doesn't happen all overnight, and it's not the easiest thing that, to do. It's simple. It's just not always easy but then you can create lasting change. Absolutely. Oh, I totally love that because you're right. We can. And I often say to people, yeah, you can lose, you know, 10 pound or 10 kilos just by calorie restriction short term, but it never stays off because you ruin your metabolism. Everything, you know, slows down and you will put the weight back on and you've really just white knuckled your way through whatever change it is because you see it as a short term prospect. And we can all do hard things short term, but they're not then sustainable on a physiology level. Yeah, from a physiology level for sure. But even with, and going back to the thought process, even with healthy diets that are somewhat, you know, maybe not super restrictive or you're not cutting out completely all the food groups or most of the food groups, or you're not tracking every morsel of food that you're eating. But even when, when it's like an actual realistic healthy diet plan, 
if you don't still change the way that you think and change your identity of who you are, you're still going to be just operating on the surface level and it's going to be fine until something happens or life gets stressful or you go on vacation or you know, you all of a sudden are not perfect anymore and then you go back to old habits. It's really important to to change that identity, change your habits and to, like, like I said, really change the way that you think so that you can make these changes stick, which is what it's really all about. Absolutely. So have you got maybe like an example of the sort of things that you find come up, you know, time and time again with your clients? In terms of struggles, you mean? Or Yeah, or their thought processes. All the time, like every single <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so like I said, the majority of the coaching that I do is on helping women and men, this is going to apply to all, all sexes, all ages, change the way that they think to make choices and make making those healthier choices easier. Because it can be easy to talk yourself into a poor choice, but it can also be easy to talk yourself into making the better choice. It's all about how we speak to each other. So for example, a very common tendency, I don't like calling them traits because I don't believe this to be true, that it's like something that's set in stone by any means. I know it's not true, but is perfectionism. Perfectionism goes really hand in hand with for most women who struggle with their weight and with their diets and not being able to be consistent because if we can't do things perfectly, we're not going to do things at all. Or if we don't think to do things perfectly and then we slip up, we're going to get like really hard and we're going to get really dedicated and we're going to log all the extra hours on the treadmill or the gym or whatever. So let's just talk about the perfectionism. Let's say you have this healthy eating plan and it's realistic and you made this plan and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Let's say you got a little bit stressed or you got bored, you got tired and you gave into some cravings and there you see yourself in the pantry eating chocolate chips right from the bag because then they don't count. And you're like, you know, and then you're like, well, I had the chocolate chips. And then you have the thought, well, I had the chocolate chips. I'm off plan. Well, I might as well go and eat the cereal right from the box now. Well, let's see what's in the fridge right now. Well, if I'm going to, I might as well just get this all out of my system because you know what? If I get it all in my system, I'm going to get it out. And tomorrow I'm going to feel it's a new day. I'm going to start again fresh tomorrow. Because you ate a handful of chocolate chips or two handfuls of chocolate chips, you're talking yourself now into wrecking the rest of the night. And that's the power of the thoughts. And the thing is, when you think these thoughts, I know if you're listening to this, either driving in your car or out for a walk, maybe you're feeling good. You're like, oh, I don't think that those kind of thoughts or that makes no sense. And it doesn't make sense until you're in it. And when you're in it, those thoughts are so, they're so convincing. They're so convincing. They seem so true. And then you feel the feelings and you feel Sometimes the sensations of like the, you're all tense or you feel like this physical craving and then therefore it must be real and you keep going down this path all because you're thinking something. Now, what if instead of saying, oh, I failed, I messed up, I blew it, let's just like, you know, say F it and and just eat whatever I want for the rest of the night. That's not a helpful thought. And just because you're thinking that thought doesn't mean you need to believe it doesn't mean you need to entertain it doesn't mean you need to go and play with it and swim with it and do what it says 
here's something where I think we get wrong a lot. We, we get all freaked out because these thoughts appear and we think that we, we need to get rid of them and you don't need to get rid of the thoughts. The thoughts can still come, but you just don't need to act on them. You don't need to react to them. And so instead of having that thought, you can just pause and catch the thought. And that's what building awareness is really important. And a new thought could be, you know what? I had a couple handfuls of chocolate chips. I'm going to do a reset right now. And what's my next best choice? How can I win the rest of the night? How can I end the night feeling proud? Those are all different possibilities and different ways of thinking that will now direct you into better choices or asking yourself things like, yeah, like I didn't want to eat those chocolate chips and I did. And, but I know I'm going to feel better tomorrow morning if I have a glass of water and eat my vegetables for dinner and get on with life. Absolutely. It is. It's amazing, isn't it? That um, I often say the brain gives us what seem like very reasonable options. It seems, you know, reasonable that you would you know, oh, well, you've wrecked it. You might as well have all those other things that you've been holding out for and then get them out of your system. That seems like a reasonable, you know, thought at the time. It's not giving you crazy, sometimes completely over-the-top things that you would never do. It's not suddenly saying to you, well, you know, you've blown it now. You might as well empty your bank accounts and go and spend all your money. It's not saying that. It's saying, well, you know, you've buggered it. You might as well just go and have the cake and the and the lollies and the chocolate as well and start tomorrow because we always hear about this idea that tomorrow is a new day, a fresh start. And so we kind of wait till tomorrow. But I often say, well, the body doesn't actually keep score of when the day stops and starts. The poor body just has to put up with whatever we do to it and it doesn't recognise that there is a morning and that you're starting again. You can just start right now. Well, even there, what you said there, I love it. Like that's one of those things that for you listening out there, you're going to be like, oh, of course the body doesn't know that. Like what you just said sounds, seems so obvious, but really like let that sink in for a minute because how often have we made decisions based on the fact that, oh, tomorrow we're going to start fresh. Like, cause you're right. There is nothing magical about tomorrow morning or January 1st or February 1st or Monday or whatever yes. it is. And that is, and whenever you have those thoughts, that's a great thing about starting to become more aware of your thoughts as well, because you can start to call them out ahead of time. So you can start to be on the lookout for those kind of perfectionist, black or white, off and on type of thinking so that you can start to call yourself out on it and you can start to identify it because there's something that magical that happens when you call out your thoughts ahead of time. And then when they come, because they, you're right, they, they seem very innocent. They seem very reasonable. But when you identify those thoughts before they actually come, then when they come, you're like, oh yeah, now that's that little thought that I was waiting for. There it is. And there it is. it's a lot easier to overcome it. Absolutely. And I think um, I heard this expression once that your thoughts are really, it's like you're, you're standing at a station and the thought can come in. It's like a train and it just comes in and then you get to decide, are you going to go on that thought and go off to wherever it's taking you? Or you can just stand back and let it go. Absolutely. And that's so freeing. It's so freeing because now we don't have to feel like we need to control our thoughts all the time. Just like you don't have to go and step inside of the, or in front of the train and say, stop. Yes. No, you don't. It it can just go. And you are free to decide. You are free to decide that which thoughts you want to 
which slots are going to help move forward. And you know, you said something there, which is really uh, helpful too, is that the thoughts are sometimes reasonable and sometimes your thoughts might be truths. Like they might be partially true, but they're not necessarily the truth that's going to help you move forward. So for example, saying things like, I can just start again tomorrow. That's true. You can just start again tomorrow, but is that a helpful thought? Like, no. And starting to challenge those thoughts more frequently to move yourself in the right direction. Yes. I love that you use the words helpful and unhelpful rather than good and bad. You know, we tend to moralize thoughts and, um, and it, again, that takes a long time to undo. I'm sure like, like we do, you know, I have people that come in and they'll go, oh, you know, I've been so bad this week. You know, I've done nothing right. And it's all this judgment about their behavior and whether it's good or bad. And it doesn't actually, it's not actually helpful to think like that. No, it's not. Because what happens is we're after a feeling on this journey. Like we're not, I know we like to lose weight and we want to fit into smaller clothes and whatnot, but what we're actually after is a feeling. We're after, we want to feel confident. We want to feel proud. We want to feel content. We want to feel good. We want to feel fit, vibrant, healthy, strong. We want to feel like engaged in life. This is all, we want to feel good. And along the journey, we so often just sometimes even do all the things except we don't allow ourselves to feel the feelings that we want to feel. And when we keep saying that we're bad and saying that things are, we're reinforcing all of those negative feelings. And it's no wonder that we want to give up because it's like, kind of sucks. And <laughs> you just don't feel good along the way. And then what do you do when you, when you think that you've been bad, you punish yourself either by often overeating, overindulging, because you want to make that failure epic. You want to get out of your system. Sometimes you want to make ourselves feel so awful that we'll never want to do it again which is crazy because that doesn't feel, doesn't work and it doesn't last. Or sometimes we also just go the other way and we start becoming you know, really restrictive and we go really hard and it's not out of like, you're not doing these things out of love for yourself, but more out of I'll be enough when, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for the long term. No, because our brain in its very reasonable method can delay the sort of rewards, if you like, I'm using air quotes for people that can't see me, um, <laughs> because the reward seems in the future. So it's far away, you know, and so the brain says, well, look, that's far away. Deal with that tomorrow. Right now you get to have all this cookies or biscuits or chocolate or whatever. And that seems more what I want. And so we kind of, yeah, it's, just unpacking that really, isn't it? I mean, what you're saying is with a lot of this is actually developing awareness of what your thoughts are and what the very reasonable options your brain is going to give you that are often very unhelpful. They are. You know, we, we see this on Facebook and social media that don't believe everything you think, but just to really like actually get that and internalize that for a second, like you don't need to believe everything you think, but you said something that was really helpful here and that's the reward system and, the, and our our desire for pleasure and our desire for rewards. And I think one of the biggest mistakes, and I've done a couple podcasts on this, is that when we do these, like we try to lose weight, we get into shape, we often, when we do that, we cut it all like the sugar and the treats and the joy food and the wine. And then we decide to go on a budget at the same time. And our lives just become so unfun. And the reality is, is that food, I know we do not like to admit this, but is a big source of pleasure in our life. 
And for a lot of people, it's also like, it is the thing that's the reward at the end of the day. Or for so many people, they work so hard and they're giving to kids and to their careers and they're, you know, driving around and doing errands and, oh, and like their little treat is like that little indulgence of the chocolate chips or the, or the cookie. And now we want to take that away. Our bodies, the human body, the human existence, we are hardwired for pleasure. We are hardwired for pleasure. And it's really important as you go along this journey, A, to know that it is a journey, that there is no arriving, like whatever you're going to do to lose the weight, you are going to be doing that for the rest of your life in some kind of capacity, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. It's something that we get to do, but to create joy, to create pleasure along the way. And one of the easiest way to do that, one of the simplest way is simply to really fully give yourself credit and give yourself like celebrate a little celebration for yourself for each time you do a positive something positive that's going to move you in the right direction where you want to go and it's so simple one of our habits that we do in our evening routines in my fit and vibrant over 50 program is at the end we have a planner that we use and it's just simply celebrating the wins like what went well today and it could be as simple as that of just acknowledging like hey like you know what? i went for a walk today like good job that creates that little bit of a reward system. You don't have to go for a big pedicure or manicure every time you make a positive choice, although you can too, but just that simple act of doing something that that makes you feel like successful along the way, because we're often, we don't do that. No. Do you know what? I love this. I um, have this little story that I sometimes tell where one of my default kind of pathways that I'm, I have to work on a lot is going to bed and getting out of bed. I don't like to go to bed, but once I'm in, I don't like to get out. <laughs> and it's that, you know, again, why is that? Because it's the stories my brain is telling me. And it used to be that I'd, I would say to myself every morning, the alarm would go off and I'd be lying in bed going, oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want, I just want to lie in bed all day and read books. It's all I want to do. It's not fair. I have to go to work, rah, rah, rah. And then one day I had this little discussion with myself about the people that do lie in bed. Who lies in bed all day? And I recognised it was people that live in nursing homes. thought, right, well, I don't, I don't want to be in a nursing home. So changing that thought to, you know what, I, I don't have to lie in bed all day. I get to get up and participate in life. So I decided the next day I was going to, you know, the alarm would go off and I was going to get out of bed and get straight into the shower. So I did this. And then in the shower, I am having this positive reinforcement where I'm going to myself, oh my God, Lucy, you're so awesome. Look what you've just done. You've got out of bed. You're so incredible. This is amazing. And the amount of kind of positive reinforcement was like I'd won a Nobel Prize for literature or something. It was, you know, completely over the top for something simple, but it was something that needed to change for me and it made such a big difference such a big difference you said a couple things there that i i just want to make sure that your listeners really get this because you had like solid goal there number one is your language moved from i have to to i get to and that simple word like you just said that like i have to get up i have to do this it's it weighs on you it it creates this obligation it sounds like like this drudgery. And then you said, I get to go to work. I get to get up. And there's a whole different experience there. I use this example of grocery shopping all the way. I have to go grocery shopping feels blah, but I get to go grocery shopping because you know what? I get to go to the grocery store and 
get all this amazing food and swipe my card and bring it home. And heck, right now, you know, you can just order online too if you want to and make nourishing foods. We are so lucky. So that's huge there. And the other part, when you are reinforcing the win, I think what we sometimes do, and you had such a good example there of not doing this, is we say like, oh, I did this, but, or I could have done, there's always like this like little extra thing afterwards, I could have done better. Or, you know, I, I went for a run, but or I went for a walk, but I only did 30 minutes instead of an hour. Or I went for my walk, but I should have been doing that anyway. Like, ugh, it's just, <laughs> so celebrate, like you said, celebrate the win without any of this, like the butts or the. <laughs> yeah, I should have done more. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Or people will say, oh, well, yeah, of course I did that. I'm not going to celebrate that. Like, big deal. And I'm going, mate, I celebrated having a shower. Like, woohoo. You know, you can celebrate anything you like. It doesn't have to be a monumental event for your brain to go, oh, yay. And how do you feel when you start celebrating the wins? You feel like you want to do more positive choices. Like, it's just, it creates that momentum because you feel successful. I know, for, like, for myself, whenever I feel down or blah, I check in with my my thoughts and generally I'm focusing so much on the gap of all the things I could have done, should have done that I'm not doing. And it's just like, stop it, stop it, yes. <laughs> reset. And then do that little moment of like, what's been going well? What are the things I am doing well about? What am I excited about right now? What, what am I proud of? And then starting from there. And yes, that doesn't mean that we're not gonna pay attention to the gap of the things that we wanna improve on. Like we're not putting our head in the sand and just ignoring all of it, but we're at least we're starting from this place that we have some momentum we want to keep going and we feel like we're want to be on our own side versus always shooting ourselves down because it's just, that's just no fun. It's no fun. No, it's exhausting. And you're right. It never, you're never enough if you never celebrate anything because there's always that thing. You know, it doesn't matter what we do in life. We can always add on that sentence but I could have done more or I should have done more. And yeah, no one wins in that story. No. And what you said there is so true that there's like, unless you let yourself be enough, unless you start celebrating that win, you will never be enough. And you are going to be on this constant just cycle of doing more and more because there is no arriving. Like we always think that, you know, when I get to this goal, wait, when I, there will always be one more pound, one more inch that you could lose. There's like one more little piece of part of cellulite that you want to get rid of. There is, you know, one more fitness thing that you want to do. There's always going to be something more. And by being content with the journey, by being happy, by being proud of yourself now, doesn't mean that you're not going to keep going. Doesn't mean that you're not going to keep striving but it's at least you're striving content, you're striving satisfied, you're striving with joy, and you're allowing yourself that feeling that we're after, which is ultimately feeling good about ourselves. Yes, yes, I love that. You are so right because, yeah, nothing happens when you get to whatever magical number you've decided you want to be on the scales. If you haven't learned to celebrate your you know, we call them the non-scale victories, the non-scale feelings along the way, then you'll get there and you'll go, oh, still don't feel any better. Maybe I need to lose another five pounds or another five kilos. Totally. Or even if you do feel happy at that point, because then it becomes a condition of like, and now we're just stuck in fear of like, Kate, I need to hold on to this like special little magical moment for a second. And we're just constantly waiting for that, you know, the other weight loss shooter drop, so to speak. And instead of just really, really fully enjoying and having the confidence that we're gonna we're gonna stay there. And 
You know, I talk a lot about um, self-appreciation and body love and body respect and self-respect. And it's such an important piece of this whole journey to keep it, to actually make it a lifestyle change. And what you just said there about just really honoring your body and celebrating the wins and being on your own side along the way is really such a big part of of all of that. Absolutely. So for women that, you know, maybe have had a struggle with the idea of self-love because they look at themselves and they go, you know, I'm in this body I hate and, you know, what 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 is there to love and what's your advice to them? What, how do you help them? Yeah. So I actually have a I did a podcast on this quote a little while ago. I think it's episode, I can't remember, but on body body self-love appreciation. One thing I want to say is that body appreciation and love and respect isn't only about what your body looks like. I think we have this idea that we need to just be in love with every single morsel of our, like inch of our physical being. And it's like, I don't love my son and my husband just because of how they look. I love them for like for many different reasons. And starting from that perspective, that it's not just a loving an appearance is actually, it could be also just like loving the functionality of your body. And the fact that, you know, if you've had children, the fact that your body has given birth to kids, if you are, I mean, it's still, it's fighting for you. I think another big perspective is to know that your body is doing the best she can for you. Sometimes we get so upset that because the weight doesn't come off right away, or you go through menopause and you're getting some belly fat, that's your body trying to keep you alive. And that's your body trying to keep you alive. And when we have that perspective that she's actually doing the best she can for you, it creates a little bit more of a different energy in terms of the relationship uh, with yourself and with your body. I also think that along this journey, it could be helpful not always to, like there's different words that I use, appreciation is one, acceptance is one, love is one, and respect is another And you can choose what word starts to resonate with you because you may be like, I don't love my body at all right now. And maybe your body, maybe you have some uh, autoimmune conditions and things are going on. I don't love it. And that's real. That's fair. But can you respect it? Can you start with body respect, self-respect? And that's a great place to start. Sometimes we don't always know what body appreciation and respect is going to feel like, like, because we've never, maybe we've never done that before. But you can also sometimes start by what it's not. So you might be able to identify the things that you want to get away from. Maybe it's putting yourself down, berating yourself. Maybe it's, uh, you know, pinching yourself or wearing clothes, like, you know, things like that, that you might just know what you want to get away from. And that's going to be a starting point. I think it's also important that we know that body love, call it love, is not just a feeling. It's also an action. And it can start by... Even the feeling might not be there, but you can start with the action behind it. And it could be as simple as taking a few extra minutes to moisturize your hands, or it could be wearing clothes that actually make you feel good. Instead of, you know, one thing that we do sometimes when we gain weight is we try to put on our, our, our like clothes that are too tight and you feel constricted and just not good. And then you don't want to move and then you don't want to move and you feel, you don't feel good. And then you want to eat all <laughs> like, cause it's like, it's yes. Like, yeah. But like wear clothes that make you feel good at no matter what size you're at to respect your body that way. Um, Also just think like if you had a boss that was always beating you down, always reprimanding you, always calling you names, always, you would just do the bare minimum 
to avoid getting in trouble with that person. You wouldn't want to do your best for that person. You wouldn't want to perform at your best. You wouldn't thrive in that situation. And so sometimes we think that, oh, by putting myself down, by bullying myself, by being hard myself, I'm actually going to make myself stronger and stick to that plan more often. But if you were working under a boss like that, you would quit the first possible time. You could. As long as you can get out of that job and you have another job you can get to or whatever that looks like, you would be gone because that's not the optimum environment for us to thrive. So I think that's a really important start. Um, I want to tell you too that body love, body acceptance is not complacency. We often think that if I love and I accept myself, it means that I'm not going to want to change. And you absolutely can love, respect, appreciate your body and want to lose weight and want better for, for yourself. In fact, when you love something, you want to take care of it. I want you to know that even if you struggled with body love, um, hating on yourself, for decades, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe you started dieting when you were five, eight years old, as a lot of my clients have, it's also not impossible to shift, to change that. It's not gonna happen overnight. It's not the easiest thing, but it's actually very doable just with consistency, with um, the focus and the intention on it. And I also want you to know that it takes courage. It takes courage because there is no... As much as we don't want to hate on ourselves, as much as we say we don't like it, as much as we wish things might be different, it's familiar. It's a story that we are used to, and it takes no effort to keep that story going, to keep that habit going, to keep putting yourself down, to keep playing small. And to rise up, to take, start taking care of yourself, to start speaking up for yourself, to start speaking nicely to yourself, to start respecting yourself, to start raising your expectations for what's possible, to start believing in yourself, it takes courage. It takes courage. It takes courage to rise up. And that old story of, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'll never get this, that story is boring and it's old and it's not serving you and it's comfortable and it takes a lot of courage. And I say that with love because when we're in it, we feel sometimes like there's no other way and we don't even know how to get out of it or we're thinking, I'm not choosing the story, but yet it's familiar, it's comfortable and that's what our brain wants to do because it's part of our like operating system, it's a habit and it definitely takes an intention, a little bit of effort to step up, to start speaking nicely to yourself and it is so worth it. Absolutely. I know we often say that the brain is a pattern machine, so it likes patterns. So what the pattern was, it wants to stay in that pattern. You actually have to make some effort to change the pattern. And the pattern at first feels really weird because you're thinking, this isn't my story. This isn't my pattern. It feels wrong. It doesn't feel like it fits me until it becomes your new pattern. Then it's effortless really effortless. I think having the expectation is so important that to know that it doesn't, it feels awkward and it feels wrong at the beginning. I was listening to a book by John Acoff and he said, the brain runs and the heart walks. So you can kind of get it intellectually and you can practice in your brain, but it takes a long time before it feels like your own. And that's okay. It's okay. It's not wrong. It just takes some time. Yep. Totally. And, you know, I have a little story that I often tell, which is I've got a ring that I can wear on my middle finger and it fits both hands. And I wear it on my right hand. I don't know why I just do. And sometimes I 
I subconsciously put it onto my left hand and it feels weird. I'm looking at it going, my God, this feels weird. And then after some particular amount of time, it suddenly I don't notice it anymore. And in fact, if my hands are under the bench, I can't tell which hand the ring's on. Our brain gets used to the new story. When I swap it back over to the old hand, it still feels weird again for a little bit and then it gets used to it. So it is normal when you change for things to feel weird. I think that's a really, it's just so important that you understand that or you at least are prepared for that up front so that when it doesn't feel right or when you don't get it right away or those old habits and those old patterns come creeping back up or they you know, scream and shout and throw a temper tantrum, you know that it's not wrong, that nothing's broken, that it's just the normal way of, of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Tanya, what I love is that you are really focusing on the um, that underlying change comes from your brain. It doesn't come from a new recipe book or a new meal plan or a new, you know, even a new program. It comes from actually changing your thoughts and that takes some time. So if people wanted to connect with you or find out more about what you do, where do they go? Thank you. You know, the best is to listen to the Fit and Vibrant You podcast. I release an episode every week, sometimes more for some bonus episodes. And once you're onto the podcast, I like I announce I have a free Facebook group. I have a free training. All that is on the uh, podcast. So take a listen to Fit and Vibrant You podcast. I think I am just releasing episode 230 or so. Plus, I have quite a few bonus episodes that are not numbered. So been out there for a while. Lots, lots of um, lots of listening there. But you know what? I think because we've been conditioned for the you know to think the way we we are currently thinking, we've been conditioned that our weight loss must be hard, that weight loss must be punitive, that you know we need to get whipped into shape and we need to go hard or go home. That's all the conditioning that we've all received over you know the last 20, 30 years. I often say to people, you need to reverse brainwash yourself. You cannot listen to enough podcasts about positive change and how to do it because your brain will try to go back to the old way it needs to be absolutely flooded so podcasts are so great for that because you can listen to them everywhere yeah no I absolutely agree and you know we talk about our environment in terms of like if you're trying to make healthier choices it makes sense to shop and get fresh vegetables and put them in your fridge so that your environment is going to be helpful for your choices. And another part of our environment is our brain, is, is our the social media accounts that you follow, the messages that you listen to, and you get to decide. I mean, to some degree, there's things out there I'm sure you'll see that are just happen to be there, but you get to decide what you want to listen to. I think that's a great thing to do. Wonderful. So Fit and Vibrant You podcast. Correct. Lovely listeners, head over and check out Tanya's podcast. They are fantastic. And I'm sure that you will resonate with many of her messages. Thank you so much. So my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.